Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back again to the program. My special guest today is Dexter Pitts, coming to us all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. Dexter is currently serving his community as a police officer on the Louisville Metro Police Department. Served one year as a U.S. Border Patrol agent, and prior to that, did a tour of duty in Iraq, where he was severely wounded in 2005. He has also published his first book called I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. The story of, well, his story. It's an incredible read. Hang tight as we talk race, religion, politics, and mostly about character, the one attribute that really matters. Martin Luther King definitely had it right. Well, let's just get into this, man. I, I want to talk about your, your book and, and try to get the word out about that and why you wrote it and some of the experiences. Let's, I'm just going to basically turn the time over to you, I guess, and, okay. and, and let you talk about some of those experiences and, and at first, and I know I mentioned this to you earlier as trite as it may sound. Thank you for your service uh, to our country. I never served. I think I passed all the ASVAB tests and never had a <clears throat> desire to serve and never did it. And I have no idea what that kind of sacrifice is actually like. So maybe you can talk about more about. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll... The I am Pitts book. Let's go. Let's do it. I loved it. Just finished it. Well, I'm glad, man. That makes me happy to hear that people enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. It was it was a page turner. So, did something well. <laughs> so why why do you want to tell why did you want to tell your story? Why did I want to tell my story? You know, it's uh one of those things where if somebody would have told me when I was younger, hey Dexter, you're going to be an author one day, I would have probably laughed at them because I absolutely hate reading. But there's just so many things that have happened in my life, and the main driving piece for me is with all that I've been through and so many people knowing me and my story that if I die one day people are going to tell my story for me from their perspective and with me having kids like the biggest thing with me during the riots of 2020 and the protests what what forced me to finish my book was the fact that if I died my story was going to die with me and my kids wouldn't know my story from my perspective and my view my opinions who I see myself as and so for me, it was a matter of who do I want my kids to know? Who, who do I want my kids to see me as, you know, in my story? Because it's, it's different when you tell somebody else's story. But when you yeah. tell your own story, it's a lot more powerful. And that was the biggest thing for me. And I mean, that was the main driving part. But I, I mean, there's just so many people I've known in this life that I know that have died, that have died for America. Buddies I've served with in the military. I want to make sure their names live on officers I've worked with on the PD that have passed away, you know, my mom struggled with suicide and, you know, and just my struggle with suicide. And I mean, there's just so many avenues as to why I wrote this book. And also just to give people another perspective of, you know, America is not one size fits all. You know, we try to blanket everything in this country where if you have a certain color skin, this is going to be your experience and that's it. And there's nothing else. And that's not the case, you know, I wanted people to see America from my perspective, a black man's perspective, who I'm supposed to be oppressed and all this other stuff, but I'm, that, that's not been my life. I've dealt with racism. 
from both sides, from people that look like me. I've dealt with racism from white people, but most of my life, it has come from people that look like me that have shamed me for being dark skinned. You know, I ran into that during the protest here in Louisville. And, and that's a narrative that you don't hear. No. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to hear that from you that I believe in your book, you said that the first racism you experienced was from other black kids. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. For being too black. Too dark skinned. Well, that's a narrative that's going around everywhere. It, in where I live, if you're not Mormon enough, or if you're too Mormon, or if you're not conservative enough, or too conservative, if you're too something, too whatever, for one group, you get demolished. Yeah, you got to toe the line, toe the line or else, or yeah. else what? You're going to exile me from the group? Okay, I'll make it on my own. <laughs> it's you a, know. it's an interesting, and I, you know, you're, you're Christian, I'm a Christian, to, to say that Satan is in charge and winning. I want to say, man, not in charge, but winning right now is is accurate. We're confused. We're fighting over the dumbest things. The stupidest things, that things. Just don't matter. Things that we have already fought and died for. You know that we're going back and rehashing these battles. It's, what gets me is that we're now resegregating ourselves amongst color, and it drives me crazy because it's like my, my wife. She goes. She went to Western Kentucky University here in Kentucky. You know they have a all black only student graduation. And I'm like, and some people were like, well, it's because certain black students don't do as well as the white students. I'm like, how about we just get rid of the color thing and just, dudes, you want to be, you know, top of your class, put in the work to be top of your class. Yeah, you should, you should make it. Yeah. We shouldn't make it easier for you because you're black. I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. That's telling me I'm not good enough to compete with somebody that don't look like me. So I have to be reclassed so I can have a fair advantage, which like, is a racist, <laughs> which is a racist position. Exactly. What do they, they call the uh, soft expectations of uh, bigotry? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's it's mind blowing to me. I, I don't get it. And uh, the the whole what was that guy's name back in the early days? Oh, Martin Luther. Martin, what was his name? Oh, that Martin, guy, real Martin, famous. That guy. Martin Luther King. Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Remember yeah. him? Yeah. When we used to we're praise. Not, and We're not talking about Sean King, Martin Luther cream, as they call him. Martin Luther cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah next to jesus i think that guy had the best uh philosophy oh really phenomenal and phenomenal philosophy we seem at least my perspective is we're losing that we are defining ourselves by our skin color our uh religion who we sleep with who we're attracted to what kind of money we have all these things that don't that don't that those don't define your character not a thing, none of that defines you, but it's now it defines everything we are. And I'm scared for my kids. You know, I got an eight-year-old and six-year-old. I'm just like, man, what kind of world are they going to be in once my time on earth here is done? I mean, all I can do is hope and pray that I've laid for them a solid foundation that's based on, you know, biblical principles, Christianity, and just, you know, like I said, Martin Luther King's philosophy. Be, you know, be kind to other people. You know, don't you know segregate yourself amongst your own but that's what we do as people though because you know why it's comfortable yes that's the it, that's it's so comfortable and me i tell people i pride myself on having such an assortment and a, and a variety of people around me i got friends that are atheists you know i got friends that are mormon one of my best buddies nick he's down in uh, arizona but man love that guy he's like my brother he's a mormon i got friends that are you know 
Hindu, you know, Islam, white, black, I mean, all across, I don't have, that's my black friend. I, I just have friends. I just have people that I know and care about. I got buddies that are veterans that are liberal as heck. I got buddies that are veterans that are way more conservative than me. And I'm pretty conservative, you know, but that our friendship is not based on politics and these minor differences. Our friendships are based on, I can trust character. this guy. Character. The character. Yes. And when Weird. the chips hit the fan, yeah. And we've gotten so far away from that. And I guess we, I think we've become so intellectually lazy as a society. They're like nobody wants to look at things on face value and work through the process in their mind of why is this like this? Why are they saying this? And why do they believe this? You know, we just want to look, get on Facebook and Instagram and look at a meme. And this meme says, think like this because of this. And it's like, oh, okay, that's smart. Well, and then they just scroll on to the next one and they just take that into their mind. Nobody really likes to take the time to actually think things out. And the other problem we're having in this country is nobody's taking the time to talk to each other. You know, when I started my podcast, the On Pitts podcast, I want to have more guests on. But I told people, like, man, you want to have these people in debate? I was like, I don't want to debate. I've been a cop for like 12 years. I've argued with people. In the last two years, I spent debating with people about America being great versus America being the most evil, horrible, racist country. So instead of taking the perspective of let's debate and trying to win a debate. Let's talk and try to understand one another, why you see this as this and why I see it as this way, you know, because there's no, I don't think there's anybody that's ever been in a, a social media fight. That's been like, yeah, man, I brought that guy over to my side. I completely want him. No, not even. Nope. And you got to wonder how many hours have you, we all lost just typing, 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 you know, your family's struggling for your attention. You're over here arguing with somebody, not even somebody, even probably know. a Russian bot, you know, a Chinese <laughs> bot, <laughs> not even a real person. It just, you know, yelling and cursing at you, yo, and you just losing hours and you're not going to change anybody's mind, man. You yep. know, but that's just so, it's just become the culture now. And it's just like, I don't want to argue no more. I'm tired of arguing with people. Yeah. And, and I was having a conversation with my dad a while back and he is ridiculously conservative, maybe to a fault. And he said, you know, I was having this discussion with this liberal and, and I really couldn't think of what to say. And afterwards, I thought of all these things I could have just hammered him with. Like, is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to do? You want to win? Or like you say, understand. And that's what I'm trying to do with my show is bring on people that on the surface, we may not disagree or we may not agree at all for that very reason to like, well, tell me how you got to that. You, whatever camp you're in. How did you arrive at those conclusions and those positions? What experiences have you had? We need to do more of that, but we're so busy bashing each other because, again, it's easier, like you say, uh, but does it serves nothing. And, and just screaming into that echo chamber. Yeah, that's if, right, brother. Yeah. You showed him. Yeah, you, showed, you, yeah, you did it. And, and the, <laughs> the well, here's a graph that supports my side. Well, I can find six graphs and charts that show the opposite. And I used exactly. to design infographics. I know how those work. Um, but we'll fight to the death for our side. And we don't even know if our side is telling us the truth or we, we can't know. We have to have some faith. Yeah. In, and, in, and where do you find the truth these days? The question, I, I mean, you have all these news networks. I mean, like I said, like you said, man, you can show me something that says, this is a fact. I can show you a hundred other things that say, well, say, this thing says that is the opposite. So it's just like, you know, it's perspective, no perception, really reality. What is it? You know, it's just, Man, I tell people, like, I just don't care enough anymore because it's like, you know what? I'm just going to live my life. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah just go from there but we need yeah you're right we need to keep talking to people we need to talk to each other because it's going to get worse and and i i know several there was when i when i interviewed my friend that was a border patrol agent last year i i did a pre post and said hey i'm interviewing this guy you have any questions for me and one i had a conservative guy and a liberal guy just start tearing into each other you can ask him why biden's such a dumbass and the other one said oh did you get that from your QAnon playbook <laughs> and they both just sort of tearing into each other and i said guys you're both decent human beings why don't we just talk about this and it was my conservative friend that turned on me and lost wow. his mind the, the the liberal guy said yeah maybe i shouldn't have gone down that road that was probably a, a little you know snide remark about QAnon." but the other guy he was just digging his heels in. It's wild. Yeah, man. I mean, when you have the fringes trying to interact and nobody knows how to talk, you know, this is how wars get started. You know, when people are so dug in and then they just stop talking. And then when you stop talking, you know what happens? You start formulating stuff in your mind that might not necessarily be true. I think he's probably plotting on me over there. You know, we got to yeah. strike first because if we don't, we know what he's doing, but you really don't because all you have to do is keep talking. As long as we yeah. keep talking, I think we're going to be fine. But like I said, we've gotten to the point where we're just going to our respective corners and echo chambers. It was just, you know, just being in the, that type of environment and we're getting nothing done. Unfortunately, shoot, shoot first, ask questions later, physic or literally and metaphorically. Yeah, you know, that, that works in certain places in the world where in the war zone. But <laughs> This is you no know, America is not a war zone. Of, you know, for, fortunately, thank God it's not. You know, we've already had our wars over here, you know, and it's like I'm ready for some peacetime, some real peacetime. You know, I want that. I want that peace that we had after 9-11 where it was, you know, we it was one. just we, we were, were one. one. We were just all Americans. Wasn't black, wasn't white. And when I'll be honest, we were all Americans, but there was an attitude toward the Arabic people at that time. Frank. Yes, I got a buddy that's Arabic, you know, and I tell we have to acknowledge this stuff. You know, we Yes, we were one country, except those guys, those people over there, you know, that was that was the prevailing attitude. And I couldn't imagine what it was like being an Arab person in the era in those days right after 9-11. I mean, but we were so uneducated as a populace. People would look at at a sheik, you know, the people, they, they wear the turbans yeah, and they would accuse them of being terrorists. I'm like, that's not even the same category of people, man, like. And people don't know. They just look at the skin tone and the look and like, oh, he's a terrorist. Like, and that's why I say we're just so intellectually lazy. And but you know, I'm trying to trying to find a way forward with it, you know. And it's I all I can do is my little part in my little corner of the world with my book and my show, and just you know, hopefully just go from there and hopefully reach one person. If I can reach one person and not necessarily change them, but give them an alternate perspective show them my view, why I think the way I think and believe the way I believe, and not necessarily telling them that they're wrong, you know, because some people, you know, some people feel the way they do and they have a legit reason for feeling that way. And yeah. I might not agree with it, but it don't mean that they're wrong. Sharing ideas, the sharing of ideas with the intention of truly just understanding, I think is the first step. And that's what I'm trying to do as well. That's why, you know, you're here with me. And I love what you're doing because we don't have, you know, we, we think, well, I want to change the world. We think of it, it has to be on this grand scale of changing an entire population. Well, it doesn't. You can, like, say, talk to your neighbor. Just understand your neighbor. 
by you understanding your neighbor and trying to really put that effort in, I may soften his heart. If, if you, if you're political enemies, he, he may, he may think, Oh, well, at least he tried to get to know me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the, and that's the hardest part. I tell people, that's one thing. My things in my book is like, yo, get off, get offline, put down the phone, unplug and actually go interact with your fellow human beings in your town. You'd be surprised, yeah. you know, the world is not crumbling. It might seem like it on the media because the media needs to sell some clicks. They got some stuff they need ratings. So of course, blood, guts, and gore and yeah. dysfunction is high money. It's a lot of money to be made and all that, yo, but nobody wants to feel good stories of, you know, people coming together and working together. Nobody wants that stuff, yo, but, and that's the problem is people are so engaged in social media and so engaged in the news. Like I honestly can't tell you the last time I've watched a major news network or even gone to a major news network website or social media page just because, man, I don't want to do I don't want to deal with that garbage. I mean, yeah. I, as a cop for 12 years, I deal with the news every day for 12 hours a day. So I pretty much stay away from it. Yo. But my biggest joy is when I do go to work, I get to see so many different people in different varieties and different parts of their lives. And I get to see a whole gamut of, of life. And that is what I love mostly about being a police officer right now is, you know, is I get this perspective of everybody else's struggles. And it makes me really realize like, man, my life here in America is pretty good. Even as being a black man, people try to tell me it's rough. And I'm like, bro, listen, <laughs> it ain't that bad. Trust me. It is not bad at all. And, you know, it just, I'm very thankful every day I wake up still alive after, you know, considering I was almost killed in Iraq and, all the things I've been through as a police officer with the riots. And I'm just so thankful to be in America. I'm thankful to live in a country where people can come into the streets and get in my face and yell at me. I hate you. I hope you die. You know, as horrible as it is, you can't do that to the police in any other part, parts of this in the world. You do that. You're going to be getting locked up like Brittany Grider. Yeah, thrown in the Russian jail. You disappear. You disappear, man. <clears throat> How do you think we, we, educate people on on the the values and the principles of america that have made it such that we can we can get to this level of wanting to kill each other and fight and say whatever we want to say about government and cops and do the things you know the things you've experienced where, where people just yell horrible things to you and you just watch that how do we get people to understand that man you know the biggest thing i think is education if we have to now education is the foundation of everything you know there was this old saying back in the day, like my parents used to tell me that if you, you ever part of my language, but no, old, old black family from Mississippi, like if you want to hide anything from a nigga, put it in a book. That's what they always used to say. <laughs> That's what, like literally what my family always used to say. And it was like, but that was saying that if you want to hide something from black people, we don't read, you know, put it in a book. Yo, but And that was always the biggest thing. And my mother was always pushing me like, hey, go to college, get you a degree so you can have options in life. And once you start getting educated and you learn to read and, you know, your whole world opens up and your worldview opens up, you know, and the thing is we are so closed off now in one of the most wealthiest well-to-do countries in America right now with all the access to everything, you know, but nobody wants to read and learn anything, you know, so what, the, what we have is happening now is like, you know, we have an indoctrination process in our schools with critical race theory and you have one side of the aisle simply pushing in a, an objective you know, and wanting to divide us. 
But what schools need to do is back off of that and teach the facts as we know them, not you know, try to give this alternate perception, this alternate reality and trying to change everything and teach kids to learn to think for themselves, not what to think. And that's the problem we're having now where it's like you, you have everybody saying, oh, America's the great evil. Look at racism, America, this and that. And I'm like, America is not special when it comes to racism. America is not special when it comes to slavery. People make it seem like we're the only country in the world that's ever had slaves. We're the one of the first countries to ever start abolishing slavery. Not long after our inception, you know, but the perception is uh, you're here, you're a person of color, America's evil. And that's what's being pushed by our teachers and our kids at a young age, our kids are gullible. They're going to listen and believe that. And the only way that we can turn away from that and get people to start understanding is to educate our kids on how to think, not what to think, man. And that's been the biggest thing for me. And that was one of my things in my book was, you know, I didn't realize how I was taught what to think on a lot of things. And I carry that with me most of my life. But you know, once I started opening myself up and learning more and, you know, like I said, I hate reading, but I forced myself to read a lot more. And once I started doing that, I was like, huh, that, that black dude was a conservative. Like you, you could have told me years ago that, you know, the Democrats were the ones that freed slaves, you know, free slaves in America. I would have believed you. Yeah. I wouldn't have known that it was actually the Republicans years ago because that was not what I, that, I wasn't taught that. I was always taught, oh man, pretty much Republicans are evil, hate black people, and they're going to take you back into slavery. You know? And I carried that with me because that's just what I was taught. But like I said, once I started reading and educating, you know, hey, the truth is like, what? The Republicans, like, are you serious? And then I just started going from there. Yeah, it's, it, we, we teach things whether we are trying to or not in our cultures and how we were raised. And, and I mean, I can I was raised in, very conservative Northern California and then moved to Utah to go to school. And it's been known to be a wee bit conservative here too, but I love talking to people that aren't in my same camp. I don't want to talk to people that think like me all the time because I don't learn as much. I don't think, and just keep perpetuating the same stories. I don't know. Again, it's just come back to talking to talking to people, spending the time reading, reading other things I read for, for last year. I read, that white fragility book because every conservative source I talked to said, don't read that. That's crap. Robin DeAngelo, right? Yeah. I'm like, why, why is it crap? I read it and listened to it. And there was several of these, you know, how to, you know, these, 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 uh, like Ibrahim, Ibrahim Max Kendi. Ibrahim Kendi. I read some books yeah. by him because I want to know, well, what is it that he's saying that people are so afraid of at the very least? So I can at least know why, you know, they're, they're saying what they're saying. It, it, has it hurt me? Is it, is it, has it co-opted me to the other side? No, it helped me understand more things and more, at least understand my own positions better. That's what I'm trying to do. Trying to read more from the other side. One of the books I'm getting ready to dig into is the 1619 project. Yeah, so because, well. yeah, because I've always said we've been slaves here for 400 years. And now they're saying, well, I have a conservative guy saying we black people haven't been slaved in America for 400 years. And it goes to the whole 1776 versus the 1619 and the founding of the country. And I'm just like, so where are these people getting all this information from? You know? So I was like, you know what? I need to read it so I can get, understand where she's coming from with it. And it's hard for me because, you know, I've been so hard. I'm not gonna say hardcore, but I've been, 
I've been pretty, pretty rather conservative over the years, yo, and I've dove mostly into a lot of conservative stuff. Personally, I like to read a lot of st stuff about war, a lot of war biographies because, you know, I, I, I identify with it because of my life, you know, so, yeah, but for me, it's like, man, I'm trying to force myself to dig into those other books of these people that would call me an Uncle Tom and a coon because I have to understand that person and why they feel that way about me. You know, like yeah. I might not agree and I'm not looking to, you know, be brought over to the other side. You know, I just, you just got to get another perspective. And that, like I said, that's hard to do, especially, you know, you had, we want to lie to ourselves and believe that our side, you know, has all the answers and our side is never wrong. I mean, that's, that's not the case. Just like mm -hmm. with Black Lives Matter. I can't stand Black Lives Matter. There's nothing about them that I like, but I will agree with them on the fact when they say that the justice system is broken. I won't argue with them. I will yeah. stand in solidarity with them. It's like, you know what? Y'all are absolutely correct. You know, there's a, a broke clock is right twice a day. And there's yeah. just some things, no matter who says them, that are true that we just cannot deny. And there's a lot of stuff in these books, just like with the white fragility, you know, I haven't read it yet, but I'm trying to get myself to the point where I'm going to actually sit down and listen to it, you know, because we need to know. And, and yeah. like I said, it's that lack of understanding, that lack of knowing that leads people to formulate thoughts and ideals that aren't necessarily true from the other side. Yeah. And the whole othering you're, 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 you're Oh, you were in that group. Oh, well, you must think like this. I'm going to put you in that box so I can understand you better when in fact you understand me less or I understand you less. Cause I put you in that box. Tell, tell me a little bit about your uh, service in Iraq. Uh, if you so, can, yeah. You know, why'd you, why'd you do that? What did you learn? And I, I think I posed a question to you. Do you think we as America get involved in in places where we shouldn't? And was that one of them or was that ju totally justified because of 9-11 uh, in your opinion? All right. So I'm going to need you to reel me in on this because that's a whole lot of unpack. But yeah. So, you know, I joined just like every other warfighter from my generation, 9-11, you know, watching the World Trade Center's fall and Growing up in the military, like I said, I never wanted to be in the army or in the military. But when that happened, something awoke in me. I was like, man, I'm going to go fight for my country. Like, I wanted to go serve in Afghanistan because that was like ground zero for 9-11 for us. So I joined the army August 5th, 2003, joined the army infantry, graduate boot camp. And I get to Fort Drum, New York, uh, part of the 2nd Brigade of the uh, 2nd Battalion, 14th Infantry Regiment, Alpha Company. I was a machine gunner, so I got to Iraq, or excuse me, I got to Fort Drum in November 2003, and I deployed the following June to Iraq in Baghdad, and we uh, patrolled the uh, southwest area of Baghdad for the first couple months, and I mean, it was in the countryside, and it was dead. You know, I was really upset when I got there, because you know, I was expecting, like, these massive gunfights every day, and you know, that wasn't what I got. It was super boring, and then all of a sudden, we switched our AO to Abu Ghraib. And it was a complete shift in the atmosphere to where I didn't get in any gunfights, but I got shot at a lot more and a lot more attempts to blow up my Humvee, you know, started happening. So, and I tell people all the time, I was so mad because I wanted to get in this giant gunfight, but there, it was a, it's an insurgency. And these guys know they can't stand toe to toe with the U S army. So what they start doing is setting off these IEDs and then they run, they just hit you and run, you know? And I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from my time in Iraq and in the military is one leadership matters. And at that time I had a horrible, horrible squad leader that 
I knew that dude didn't care about me if I lived or died. And it was just, and for me being under him, I realized the type of leader I did not want to be one day if I was ever called upon to lead. And I just still remember what it was like being under the tutelage of somebody that didn't like you, didn't care about you. And I was like, I always thought to myself, I don't ever want anybody to feel how I'm feeling, to feel less than, to feel that valued. No matter who they are, even if they aren't a valuable asset, I don't want any human being that I work with to feel like I'm not good enough to be around you. Because no matter how, what I think, everybody has something to bring to the table. And, and, and this leader just made me feel like I was worthless on all fronts. So that was one of the biggest things for me, one of my takeaways in Iraq and then my time in the military was how important leadership is, you know? And the other part of that is, uh, the other thing I learned is that, man, just like now on the streets, we get new recruits. The only thing that matters is when the chips hit the fan, who's going to be there for you. And when I got blown up on January 2nd, 2005 in Abu Ghraib, and I was looking at that sky and realizing that I was about to die. And all I wanted was my brothers. My brothers were mostly white. You know, there's not a lot of black guys in army infantry. There's just not, but at that time and moment, looking at facing my own mortality, looking at my own death, the last thing I was thinking about was, somebody get me a black soldier, please. Lord, where's the black soldiers at? You don't care about that. You just want to get home to your family. You just want to live. When you're 20 years old and you're getting ready, thinking you're getting ready to take your last breath, you want to be comforted. You don't care who's comforting you. All the only thing I cared about was that they had the same uniform as me. And I knew that I could trust these guys and that I would be able to get back home to my family because of them. And that's, you know, that's where my love for the veteran community comes from. That's where my love for, you know, policing comes from because police officers are, I mean, we're all, you know, we're all different. There's nobody that's the same. Even if there is a white majority, majority, it don't matter because, you know, we have, you know, this calling to serve people. It's so deep and it, you know, transcends race and religion, man, it's helping people is helping people. And at that time, I didn't care who was going to help me. And it was just, man, I just remember the feeling looking up and seeing my buddies like, man, they're here. Thank God they're here. And realizing that my other buddies were going to be okay and that they weren't dead. I say, I, I said, we, we have this luxury in America where we, where we don't have problems. So we tend to create a lot of problems. And, you know, when people don't have these experiences in their lives, they get locked into this one way of thinking and living and they think you know like you said othering these people are just like this and that but man when you are sitting there taking your last breath in your eyes you like say you really don't care who's going to be there for you you just want somebody and so for me you know we we talk about a lot about iraq and uh well america getting too involved in stuff and i'll be honest i really don't have an answer because it's so diverse because i have this view of when you are great and you have all this ability to go out and help people and you see injustices happening, I feel like it's an injustice if you don't go and do anything to help somebody that needs help. But at the same time, I also feel like sometimes, America, we do get way too bogged down and deep into other issues that aren't affecting us when we have our own problems here in America ourselves. You know, like we just sent. You know, I think uh, Biden was trying to send 33 million to Ukraine. I'm like, bro, you're trying to send 33 million to Ukraine, but I'm paying like, you know, 430 for gas. And I'm trying to go get a pack of hot dogs tonight for my kids. And I got to pay like six, seven dollars for a pack of hot dogs. It's like, 
why are we not taking care of our own? Why is it we can save the world, but we can't save ourselves, you know? And that's, for me, that's a, uh, I said, I don't really have the answer for that, man. And I do know that America, we have been nosy. We have gotten ourselves into a lot of stuff. I mean, America, we create, like I said, about American, uh, American people, we create a lot of our own problems. Just like with the Taliban, we create, we, we helped to create the Taliban. When the Russians invaded in the 70s, what did we do? We went over there, we stocked the Taliban with all these, you know, money and weaponry and taught them how to fight. And then, you know, 20 something plus years later, we're there fighting them again because we created them, you know? So we, you know, it's, it's a very delicate balance and situation of, do we get too involved? Yes. But that's one of those, I can't really answer. It's like, I guess it's situational and very nuanced, you know, and I would love to see America do more to take care of its veterans, to take care of our own selves. But at the same time, I think it's a Star Trek quote, you know, to who much is given, you know, much is required. So it's so, and it's so easy to say, well, no, we just can't, we just got to sit here and like let the world figure itself out. But as I've always said, if, you know, your neighbor's house is on fire, you should be concerned because your house could catch on fire too, you know, but it's just trying to find the balance of, do we go there or do we not? We, sh we should help, but how should we help? But I will say I'm tired of American lives and blood being spilled for causes, you know, that are drummed up by politicians, just like Iraq. Yeah. Iraq, you know, did, I'll say this. I think we stretched the truth to get into Iraq. I feel like there was a lot of underhanded stuff that went down, a lot of lies that were told to get us into Iraq. But at the same time, being on the ground in Iraq, seeing and interacting with Iraqi people that have been under the terror, terrorist regime of Saddam Hussein, thank us, say, man, thank you so much for coming here. I mean, I feel like we did some good there as well. So it's really hard for me to be on this, you know, to choose a side and say we did good and we did bad, you know, but because I seen the good we did, but I also seen a lot of American lives lost for lives, you know, perpetrated by politicians to get us into a war because of the military industrial complex. Yeah. Because the money, there's money. money to be made in it. Well, hold that thought. I uh, will be right back. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. One, it's free. Two, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Three, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. Four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It is so stinking easy. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You will not be disappointed. All right, and we're back. So you were talking about not knowing if, if we're getting into the right messes in, in foreign wars. Right. You know, yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, like you could look at world war two and be like, yo, we have a legit crisis going on in Europe. You know, we got the Jews getting slaughtered over there. You know, Japan attacks us and pulls us into the war. We had a actual enemy and we had a goal and, you know, but with Vietnam, and with, uh, you know, Iraq, we didn't have an actual necessarily necessary enemy. And we didn't have a goal. It, like in Vietnam, it was, how are we going to win? Let's do the body count method. Let's see how many people we can just kill them all until they decide they're going to quit. That's horrible, horrible strategy. You know, it's, <laughs> and it didn't work. You know, like yeah. you, 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 these other countries play the long game, China, Russia, 
you know, Vietnam, they played long and they were looking at three, four, 500 years down the line. We looked the next yeah. two to four years because of our election cycle here. We don't have a long game in mind. And then when we do go to war, we have this issue of we're going to go to war, but we're going to go to war nicely. You know, we're, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to, you know, and you can't, if you're going to go to war, go to war, go in with the thought, thought and mindset of, you know what, we're going to win this thing at all costs. We don't care what it takes. Yes, innocent people are going to die, but we're going to go in, we're going to hit it hard, and we're going to get the job done, then come home. You know, but we don't have that. We have this, yeah, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to try this and drop this bomb here without trying to hurt so many people. And, you know, well, you can't really kill that guy because, you know, and it's just, you can't operate like that. And that, it, it drives me crazy seeing us do that. Like, it's, I don't know what's happened with this country, but it, it's upsetting. Well, it's it's tap it's tiptoeing around, like say go in, and it. Some may argue, well, that's a horrible mentality to have, just going to wipe everything out. But it, you break shit and kill people, it's awful. That's what war awful. is. But that's what it is. And you know, we talk about all these war crimes and rules. When I hear wars, there aren't really any rules. Shouldn't we? And it's, I, I don't know if that's right or wrong. But I always hear that. Well, this you shouldn't do this and that. Maybe the point is to win, regardless. Yeah, so if exactly. You, you cheat. You break rules. I don't know. I've never yeah, been. Yeah. I've never served, so I don't know. Yeah, but that's the that's the crux of being the United States when you're supposed to be the quote unquote good guy. You know, you have to do things a certain way because you know this isn't wars of, you know, now wars now are winning the hearts and minds of the people. That's the only way to kind of defeat an insurgency. And hey, but. Back in the day, it was like, yo, kill as many as you can, take and hold and seize the land. And it's not the case now. You know, we're trying to implement democracy, you know, and all the stuff on people that don't want it. And that's and that's an unattainable thing. You know, if you want to give me something and I don't want it, you can't force me to take it. Yeah. But you're just going to keep forcing it upon me? Well, guess what? Eventually, I'm just going to fight back. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want this thing what, that you want for me, regardless how good you think it is. That's not how we do business over here, yo, but... That's just been America, like constantly, you know, forcing stuff on other people because, you know, it's the whole, you know, what is it called? Uh, imperialism type thing. And, yeah. and it's all strategic. Like, you know, we have troops in Afghanistan, like in um, Africa, stationed all over the place. It's all st- strategic. And I understand that because, you know, we're looking out for our own good. But at the same time, we also, like I said, we create a lot of our own issues and a lot of our own problems. And who pays for it? The American warfighter. The moms and dads back home that are, you know, having to bury their kid that's lost for this cause for America, for the red, white, and blue, which, you know, I love America, but that's, we got to be honest, everything America has done has not always been great yep. and just, you know, but that's like, that's the crux of the thing. But we always, we have to, you know, this is our home country. This is our land that we love. But so we also got to, you know, take up for the wrongs that we have done in this country. And yep. that's, we, nobody can deny that stuff, but. I say a lot of people try to justify a lot of the things we have done as we are the, you know, the moral, you know, America holds the moral high ground. And I feel like we do a lot of the time, but like I said, we don't always get it right. Yeah. Cause there's humans involved. Exactly. And then there's yeah. politics involved, you know, and that's the biggest thing. I hate politics because politics takes away from you being able to do what you what you need to do to get something done. You see a solution and you and you have, you know, or excuse me, you see a problem and you have a solution and it looks good, but then you throw politics in there 
and it just confuses the whole thing and messes it up because you got to worry about how something looks and how it's going to be yeah. perceived and not the goal of winning. Do you, and I, I don't want to minimize military service, but I want to jump into policing. And you've been on the Louisville Metro Police Department for 12, 13 years? So uh, 10 years total, 10 years oh, okay. total. So yeah, law I was enforcement for 12 years total. Okay, gotcha. I, I want to touch on the perception of the police because it's been, of course, tarnished by the media severely in the last few years. And I had another friend of mine who's a cop on in Riverside, California, sharing his perspective. Yes, he's one of thousands and thousands of cop, cops around the country, as are you. Is the media getting it wrong with Absolutely. the perception? I completely wrong, or is there some truth to what they're saying? They're getting it completely wrong because if you ask somebody, like I've asked people all the time before, you're like I'll, I'll stop, I'll talk, chat with like a random black person on the street. They're like, how many people do you think the police are killing black people? The police are killing a year. Man, thousands, dog, thousands. They just stay killing niggas out here. I'm just like, what's the number? Man, like at least three, four, five thousand. I'm like, bro, like it was like nine, you know, nine in one year, you know, maybe 12, 13. But the perception is so wrong. And when the perception is wrong, you know, so just like, you know, we stop somebody in a car, it's a bunch of young black guys. Guess what? They're in their mind, the perception of the media, and that's just that. You have history that gets passed down. Trauma gets passed down. Do you think my grandmother liked the police when she was young black lady growing up in Mississippi, 1920? Hell no. Probably not. what you do. Yeah, guess what you do? Hey, you can't trust the police. So you pass that trauma down to your kids and they pass it down to their kids. And then that in conjunction with the media. And so when I stop a car and I walk up to the car and the first thing somebody does is make an irrational thought because in their mind, the police are about to kill me because, you know, they show you these incidents that happen from a small perspective without knowing the whole story. Always. And that makes you think, yep. And that makes you think I'm about to get killed. So, you know, I got to do something. I got to do something. And that person takes off running or starts reaching for something and that the whole thing could have been avoided had one the person just done the right thing from the start and you know just complied but because fear enacted by trauma that's been passed down from generation to generation and fear from the media of the black man's being hunted by law enforcement for sport that puts me at a disadvantage as an officer because i have to react to you you know i had an incident the other day where i had to tase a guy I didn't want to have to hurt that dude or tase that dude, but I really had no choice because it was like, well, either he's going to hurt himself, hurt somebody else, or get ready to hurt me. You know, and it, like I said, it's the perception of the media that we are the great evil. You know, I've heard, you know, black officers are the worst. They are the white face of white, the, the black face of white supremacy. You know, the media has done so much harm to this profession where we are losing officers at an alarming rate. And when I say we're losing officers, we're not just losing your you know, everyday officer, we are losing some of our best officers. And guess what happens when you start losing your best officers and you're not recruiting new officers that are cream of the crop? You're going to be left with crap. And guess what happens when you have crap officers? You're going to get crap service. And when you get crap service, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have videos. Officers. Yeah. Crap. Yep. Crap video. Yes. And you're going to have officers doing the wrong things and going out of the way, making bad decisions and hurting people, which is going to then make that perception you know, reinforce that negative perception of us, you know, so the media in this country is absolutely garbage. And that's why I have my podcast. That's why I wrote my book, because 
I need people to see that dude, we are humans. We get it right most of the time, not all the time. There are garbage officers out here that are racist. Of course there are, but that is not the majority. Just like most pe- white people in this country, they're cool. They, you know, there is no issue. Yeah, You can walk up to almost any random white person on the street as a black person and start talking. You're going to be fine. But there's always that small percentage. That small percentage that always going to exist, you know, amongst us, that small Neanderthal brain that just can't see past color, you know. Yeah. It's always going to be there. And in every profession, that's just policing. They're just some people that suck at life, unfortunately, you know, but but we, for some odd reason, want that that one small percentage to cover the entire 98 percent. And that's not fair. And that's not right. And I have my theories about why the media does it. But what do you think? Why? What? What? What is their objective to, to perpetuating that narrative? Man, I think I said controversy sells is I think it's all money based, money driven. You know, I got buddies that are extremely conservative. Man, it's QAnon, dog. It's QAnon. It's the NWO. It's the New World Order, bro. Where you at? Where you at? Where you going to be? You ready to fight? No, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Chill, homie. Like, no, like, I like, I don't, man. Is there something going on behind the scene? Maybe, probably. I don't know. I don't have proof of anything, you know, but I, I, like I said, I do my best to control my little small, extremely small slice of the world where I work at to try to put officers in the best light. You know, that's all, that's all I try to do. And like I said, I don't know what their objectives and motives are, but I know what my objectives and motives are. And that is to, you know, try to be, be like Christ as much as possible when I interact with people. No matter how stupid or annoying some of these calls I get are, I realize that, you know what, what if that was me on the other end? But somebody stole my shoelaces, man. And then, you know, they call me to go look for their shoelaces and I cuss them out because I think it's stupid. How is that going to make the rest of the police force look? He's not going to just look at me. He's going to think we're all like that. So, you know, I tell people, regardless of how I think or feel, sometimes I have to put on an act and be like, man, I know this is stupid, but this person called me here, wants me to serve him, and I'm going to do my best to try to serve him. So, like I said, I don't know yeah. the media's agenda, yeah. but Dexter's it, it, agenda is... I think you're right. It's, it's, it's money. It's, it's clicks. And I was an EMT for a while, and one thing I learned was every person's emergency is their emergency. Exactly. Even if you think it's ridiculous. Didn't you say something in your book about somebody called and it was ri- ridiculous, like a pizza order or something? Got Didn't you say something? Wasn't no, there that was on my like- podcast. Yeah, on my podcast. Oh, podcast. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we had a we got called to the homeless shelter. And this lady, I'm there. I'm like, how can I help you? DoorDash messed up my pizza order. I was like, okay. And I took it and threw it on the floor. I was like, you threw your DoorDash order pizza on the floor? Why? I was just upset. I was like, man, that's not really a police issue. I don't really have nothing else they can do for you. Maybe you should try to call DoorDash in a pizza place. You know what? You're right, officer. Thank you. All right. Have a yeah. good day. But you could have come in and said, this is ridiculous. You're an idiot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I could have, but it's like, is this, how, now I, I look at it like this. I want to do my best to make this profession shine. I want to do this, my best to make my department look like, you know, we're just freaking awesome. We got it all together. And I'm like, man, it's in this moment where I got to choose how am I going to, you know, proceed. And it's like, you know what, dude, I'm here for 12 hours a day. I'm on the clock. Like I got, I ain't got nothing else to do. Okay. <laughs> I sat there, man, it was like five minutes, maybe not even that. And I was out the door and I was done, you know, and it's just, Hey, that's her emergency. It's that important to her. I don't think it is, but you know what? I'm going to do my best because what if that's me one day, that's somebody's mom. I mean, 
no matter what I think that you're a person and everybody deserves to be respected and treated with, you know, treated with dignity, no matter what. I mean, she's a homeless lady. I've dealt with my God, my God, I've dealt with her with so many issues, yo, but it's just like, you know what? God still loves this person. This is still God's child. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to have to answer for that one day, one day when, I, when I'm standing before my maker, like, hey, why were you so mean to the DoorDash pizza lady, Dex? <laughs> you know, I don't want to have to answer for that. <laughs> I got yeah, enough so, other stuff to answer for. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the Breonna Taylor um, story. In that, you know, I read the book about one of the officers that had gotten shot on that. John Manley. John Manley, yeah. 12 and seconds that, in the dark. And that was a frightening thing that turned south so quickly. And you you know him, correct? Mm-hmm. And I had my, you know, two of my daughters were beating that drum that the media was portraying about that one the whole time, how she was just shot instantly in bed. Uh, I guess that's a classic example of pushing a narrative that just absolutely is not true. I guess someone could also argue, well, that officer lied in his book. I don't know. I wasn't there. So, you know, what, what's, what, what are people to do? You got t- t- two totally different viewpoints of the same situation. You know, how, how do people, how does the average duck figure things out? You know, that's one of the things that whole incident was, like I said, I wasn't even in Louisville when it happened. I was in Arizona with the Border Patrol at the time. So I've always kind of stayed away from it because, there was just so much information put out by the media, but yet the police department didn't say anything to counter what the media was saying. And the media was just had these lies running rampant and they already started taking hold. So by the time the truth starts coming out, nobody believes the truth. And by the time I got back to Louisville, I didn't know what the hell was going on, you know, and I didn't know what had happened with John, who wrote the warrants and all this stuff. All I knew was the name of the players involved, but I had no clue how all this stuff actually started to unfold. But once everything kind of came out and I actually, you know, started talking with John and even that, just that read his book, I understood so much more. And it's still one of those subjects I stay away from, but I'm willing to talk about it because I know the guys individually. You know, I know John. John's a good character. His good dude. There's nothing that that man has done in this department that would make me say, he's a questionable guy. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't trust that guy. No. There's nothing because he's his reputation has always been stellar. He's a family man. He's a Christian man. And the best, the craziest part is like I did a, my podcast and I mentioned his book and how great it was. We had one of our protesters in Louisville, I guess that found his book or my podcast and me talking about it. She was like, how dare you be for, talk positive about this racist white man? I'm like, yo, this dude's got a, like a black grandchild. His daughter's married to a black man. Like, John is the nicest guy you could ever meet. Humble, extremely humble. And I mean, that man's been through hell and back, yo, but people just, like I said, the intellectual laziness, you know, they've already, in their mind, the, the narrative's already been set. And I tell people, I have a hard time crapping on Breonna Taylor because she's a young lady that made mistakes that led to her death. Does she deserve to die? For no, sure. but, we, but we have to understand that in life, we have choices to make and we make certain choices guess what there are consequences that come with those choices and unfortunately for her she was dating a guy that was a drug dealer you know and she got involved in the drug game the the phone calls at the jail shows that she was holding money moving dope for these guys the rental car that she had got for these guys and they found a body in she was involved in the game now 
when somebody breaks the law, it does not mean that they should automatically be killed or die. I don't, I'm never a proponent of instant death unless in, it's to protect, you know, your life, somebody else's life, yo. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like she made these choices and those choices led to her being in that predicament and her mm-hmm. unfortunately being shot. But, you know, also her, the guy that was with her, Kenneth Walker, you know, he, you know, he threw her under the bus after the shooting. And it happens, you know, he was like, you know, they pull him out the apartment and he's like, well, they're like, what happened? You no, know, she started shooting at y'all. You know, then later he turns the story and is like, man, I shot, I was scared. You know, it's just, it's, it was, it's disgusting, man. He didn't value that girl's life. He didn't care about her. No, no, no matter what he did not. This man's in this, you know, in the, he's in the drug game selling dope and women is just, women are objects to him, not people. Yeah. Disposable. And, disposable. That's all it was, yo. And just the media with, oh, yeah, you know, Breonna Taylor, she was an EMT. She got fired, you know, but you have to paint this person in the best light because that's what the media does. Just like with Michael Brown in yeah. Ferguson, Missouri. <clears throat> yeah. whole incident. Well, he was just graduating and going to college, and they showed a picture of him at, like, you know, eight years old, graduating. years old when he's cute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but they don't show the picture of this six-foot-five giant black guy that weighs, like, 300 pounds going into the store and like robbing this store owner they don't show that stuff because you know it has to paint a narrative because like i said that drama and that confrontation sells yo but man like those guys did the police make mistakes during that raid of course we did of course i mean you can dude i make mistakes every day at work there's no officer that goes out here and operates every day that doesn't make a mistake now there was an issue about the warrant they said that the warrant was a lie that warrant wasn't a lie what it was I know the guy that wrote the warrant, Officer James. Great dude. I love him. He's a good dude. I don't, from knowing him, I know that he didn't go out of his way to write that thing wrong. What I think happened, well, from my perspective, is that you just get into a certain rhythm of doing things. And I think he made a mistake. That's all it was. I don't believe that he went out of his way to write and to lie on a search warrant because, man, there's tremendous repercussions and consequences that come from lying on a search warrant, you know? Yeah. You know, and he's been around long enough to know that, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do that, you know, but like when you get into the rhythm of doing things a certain way, you make mistakes, you know, and that's why I always tell people that, uh, you know, comfort is the enemy sometimes, man. And when you get too comfortable doing things a certain way, you know, you get lackadaisical and you make mistakes. And I think that's what happened. Honestly, I don't think anybody went there that night looking to kill a an innocent young black woman, as they say, you know, that just, that just wasn't the case. These guys were doing a job. Not only that, this, they were doing a job put on them by politicians and the mayors to clean up this block, to do some regentrification. You know, they, this, all this stuff wasn't just by, you know, happenstance. This is all set up and led to by politicians trying to clean up this block. And they were doing exactly that. Doing what they were asked to do. Doing what they're asked to do. And I mean, I got an incident right now in which I talked about on my last podcast briefly, but I didn't mention it because of possible lawsuit ramifications, but I was approached to help somebody on our department and it is going downhill fast. And I'm just like, my God, how did I get into this? Now, I didn't volunteer for this. I was approached about it, hey, yo, but now I'm in this and I'm like nervous and stressed out. Like, man, this is crazy, y'all. <laughs> like. You know, and it's just because trying to do the right thing and be a good person and trying to look out for the department and trying to look out for officers, you know, and sometimes, unfortunately, not everybody has the best intentions, no matter who they are. 
And I'm not actually saying that that was my department that didn't have the best attentions, but now I'm caught up in the middle of some mess. And I'm like, my God, dude, like, <laughs> like why me, God, why me? Yeah. You know, but I feel like I was approached because I feel like my department thinks they know they can trust me with this sensitive situation. Because which I, is, I, which is a good thing. It is a good thing. Also, I mean, it also. speaks to your character. Yeah, but also it was like uh, probably too nice of a guy. My buddy was like, bro, you should be more of an asshole. I was like, you know what? I probably should be, man. That's probably true to that. It's probably true. <laughs> I just, but I mean, I just don't want to be that guy. Yeah. You know, I'm, it, it's not to say that I'm just Mr. Officer friendly all the time. I just, I try to be respectable. I try to t- be considerate of other people because I know what it's like to be the underdog. I know what it's like to be the, you know, the black sheep of the community. I know what it's like not to be in the in crowd. And I'm always wanting to try to help and make people feel valuable. And I always want to, you know, put my best foot forward to make the department look better. You know, so a lot of times, you know, I guess my, uh, you know, my niceness gets the best of me. But at the same time, if people cross me, I, people don't realize, hey, I'm, I'm a trained combat veteran. I've been policing a long time. I will rip your face off and eat your heart out your, out your chest. You know, I'm, I'm a nice guy, but don't push me. Yeah. Do not push me. I, pre- yeah. I, I prefer peace, but I am prepared for war at any moment. Yeah. How dare you be an upstanding citizen? You know, decent, decent values, and <laughs> morals. You're, you're screwing up the whole scenario. I know, man, that's, we don't cherish that in America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, in, in wrapping up here, is there anything that, that you maybe want to share that maybe I haven't asked you, uh, with in terms of race, military, policing, being a good, decent human kind of wrap this up for me. All right. Let me see. So I will say, uh, so I'll say this, man. I think people need to realize when it comes to race, that race is, it's nothing. We have our cultures, we have our differences, but our skin is only a couple millimeters thick. And below that, literally we're all the same, man. There's literally sitting here looking at you. We are completely different on the outside, but on the inside, you know, we got the same heartbeat, you know, we got maybe yeah. a different blood type, but at the end of the day, dude, like your identity cannot be wrapped up in something so minuscule as the color of your skin. If that's all you have in this life, that is a shallow existence, you know? And for me, you know, my identity is wrapped up in so much more than the color of my skin. And, 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 and that offends a lot of people because they say I'm trying not to be black. I'm not trying to be anything other than Dexter Pitts. I'm not trying to be other, anything other than the man that God has designed and made me to be. That's all I'm trying to be. And I don't want to segregate myself amongst just certain groups and colors and characters, man. I want to be around just good people in general. And for my children, I want my kids to be the same, man. I want them to have a great upbringing in this country and learn to value people for who they are and not what they are and what they look like. And I just want to see this country really get back on track, get back in that Martin Luther King state of mind where it's, hey, judge, a, you know, let's judge, a, you know, oh, let's judge a person by the character, not the color of their skin. Because I mean, I ain't gonna lie, man, I've been so disillusioned with America lately just because of how bad things are. And I say, I'm not even on the news watching all this stuff go down. I'm staying away from it, but I see it on social media from people and I catch it all over the place. It's in movies, it's in everything. This constant division of, you know, just black versus white, you know, the evil white man, the poor black victim. And that's just not the case. 
there's never been a time, better time in America to be a black person. Just, there's just never been a better time. Or any I person. Mean, any really, person for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, you know, the media tries to portray black people as, you know, the the struggling class. And that's just not the case, you know. And I feel like America has grown so much, like with the whole transgender thing now. I'm like, dude, nobody really cares. People only start caring when you start pushing your own personal objective on us to try to make people accept you. And that's the thing. We don't have to agree or accept somebody's way of life, but we have to respect their way of life. As long as it's not hurting me or my family, or I'm infringing okay with upon your, yeah, infringing yeah, or upon infringing, someone yeah. else. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I said, I'm a Christian man. I love the Lord, but you know what? I think we as Christians have gotten a lot wrong to where we feel like everybody has to be a Christian or else, you know, and that's not the case. Yeah. And for There's me, a lot that. Of that. There's a whole lot of that. And I hate that. Like, Dexter, how could you support gay marriage? I was like, I don't necessarily support gay marriage, but if I have two friends that are gay that I know very well and I love them and I care about them, they invite me to their wedding. Guess what? I will go. I don't necessarily have to agree with their lifestyle, but guess what? There's a lot worse things they could be doing in this life. <laughs> you yeah, know? And, and talking to someone else who you disagree with doesn't mean you, you're giving up your morals or your values by simply trying to understand someone else that's different from you. Cause no. I, I want to have many more transgender people on my show so I can try to understand that world. Does it mean I completely support it? No, I, I don't understand it, but there's a thinking that if you ask, or if you, if you engage the other side, then you are selling out. Like you, you get it. People think you're selling out to the white man. Cause you're a black cop working for the, the system. Yep. It's asinine. It's very asinine. You know, you're just, like I said, but we're just like I said, we're just so comfortable in our own little corners of the world, and we don't realize that there's other corners of the world that don't look like us and don't think like us. And like I say, I've, I've been guilty of being in my own corner before, and that's just not the world I want to live in. You know, there's just too much to experience in the world. There's just so many different people, and everybody's got a story. And my story is only one of, I mean, millions of stories out there. My story of being in combat in Iraq is one of hundreds of thousands of other vet, of other veterans out there my podcast is one of millions of other podcasts out there and you know what sometimes my story is not going to be for everybody my viewpoint and perspective is not going to be for everybody and i'm okay with that and you know recently i was kind of struggling with man where am i going with this podcast and this book and in my mind i started you know it's the uh the comparison that we do that often leads us down a road to where we start not being appreciative of what we had or what we've done, you know? And I started, at one point I started comparing myself to all these other social media people and, and all these other authors and Brandon Tatum's and Officer Daniels, like, man, I'm not getting anywhere. You know, nobody's going to listen to me. Then at the same time, I just realized like, I'm unique. You know, I'm the only officer in the country that is actively serving that it's that was in the riots and wrote a book that referenced what it was about. I'm a unique person. I don't need to be an officer Tatum. I don't need to be an officer Daniels. I don't need to be any of that. I don't need to, I don't even want to be a social media influencer. That's not my goal. You know, I feel like we have a lot of officers that get on social media that want to make some money. You know, we got a lot of officers that want to be, have that influence and just be popular and famous. And I was like, you know what? That was never my goal. So why am I focusing on that? Because, you know, you start getting that pressure to be this and that. And I was like, you know what my goal is? 
my goal is to find a way to continue to keep serving people. And I, I, I don't want to leave policing. I plan on staying in policing as long as I can. I love this profession. I love the people I serve. I believe in America. I believe in the Constitution. I love the red, white, and blue. And for me, no matter how much money I make, I am always going to be in this uniform because I believe that wearing this uniform and being a police officer is what God has called me to do. Because despite the conflict and all the craziness I've dealt with the last few years, there's not really been a time where I was like, I'm ready to hang it up and just leave policing. You know, it's crossed my mind, but I've had peace through all of this because this is the life that God has ordained for me to live and the way that God has ordained for me to serve. God has not ordained for me to be a social media star and influencer to get all this money and walk away from the profession because God has gifted me with a second chance in life after surviving Iraq and all these other things and, you know, going through my mother's suicide and my own struggles with suicide, God has given me a story and a voice to share with people. And the best way I can do that is by serving in uniform. But now that I'm doing that, there's also other ways for me to serve as public speaking, a book, a podcast. So I'm still evolving, but I'm not looking to evolve into something that was never meant to be. And I've already played that game in my book, you know, trying to be the cool black guy and trying to be this and that and trying to fit in with everybody. God did not design me or you or anybody else to fit in with everybody because mm -hmm. he created all of us unique and special in our own way. And so we got to keep and find our own path. And so I'm staying on my own path and learning to put my blinders on, not looking at everybody, you know, these super conservative guys that, you know, make all this money. And that's not what, that's not what I want, you know, if I want to be influential, the best way for me to do it is to stay in uniform. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Brandon Tatum and I, I love his stuff, uh, but he's very, he's perpetuating some of the bat, some of the division. Oh, of course. Everybody. Yeah, yes. Because, that, because that's exactly in, in name calling. And I'll, again, on the general principles, I think he's spot on. Oh yeah. But you know, it's sensationalism. It's on both sides. It's on both sides. And that has to be played because you have to keep your viewers, you have to keep your base. And like I said, I'm not willing to sell my soul and to sell out what I believe and start name calling people. And I'm not gonna say I've not done it, I'm not perfect. And I've made comments that I'm like, eh, I probably shouldn't have said that, yo, but you know, that's, that's the driving force behind a lot of the social media stuff is sensationalism. And that's not, I don't wanna get into that. I wanna keep it as real as possible. Like then I said, you're I part of the problem really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're doing that. Yep. Yep. Because I'm upsetting the balance because there's a game to be how played. You? How dare you? How dare you? Morals and values, you know. <laughs> you know, and that's one of my favorite Bible verses. You know, what is a profit of man, you know, to uh, gain the world but lose a soul? And lose a soul. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to do that. I, I know this is my cross to bear in life, is this uniform. And I I love it. There's nothing anybody can say that's going to make me walk away from this profession. Well, I might transfer. You are miles ahead of most people. Even liking what you do for a job is huge, 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 uh, and good position to be in. Because so I feel very fortunate. Trudge through. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. Well, I ain't gonna lie. The last two weeks I've been trudging through with <laughs> working twelve days in a row for Derby. Man, I am exhausted. Yeah. Well, I knew, I know more about the Kentucky Derby than I've ever learned in my whole life. So in, in the last, in the last little, little while, but uh, Dexter, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story and the time uh, you're, you seem like a stellar human uh, read your book. Love it. Love your story. 
and I hope we can uh, chat again. Definitely. Doing and, something, uh, collaborate, yeah, yeah. whatever, something. I mean, yeah, I'd love to have you on my podcast. Dude, I'd love it. That would be fun. I love being a guest. I don't do that very often, and I, I love that aspect of it, too. And it's, it's just fun. Been a lot of fun. You know, I love, yeah, I love doing this. If I could somehow trade my real estate income for talking to people, I would do that all day long. I mean, I love what I'm doing, but I like yeah. talking to people. I like learning yeah. stories and, and having people on. It's, hey. it's, it's a lot of fun. $30 over the last four years ain't going to cut it, though, for you. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta figure out how to monetize somehow. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with yeah. you. But that's not why I'm doing it. No, and of course that's what not. keeps me doing it. Oh, if you don't mind, can I tell don't you, you where to get my book? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. So, I'll, I'll put it in show notes too as well. So Yeah, yeah. So if anybody would like to purchase a copy of my book, you can go to iampits.com and you can order a copy there. Or if you would like to order a signed autograph copy from me, just go to iampits, or excuse me, email me at iampits at yahoo.com. Also, if you, I said there's no pictures in the book, but if you want to see pictures, you can go to my Instagram page at I Am Pitts Book on Instagram. And also, I have uh, my Facebook page, I Am Pitts Memoirs of an American Patriot, where you can go there and kind of keep up with me and what all I got going on in life. So that's pretty much it. Perfect. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.